The scripture reading for this morning it comes from Acts chapter 28 and also 2 Timothy chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 28, verses 28 through 31. Therefore, I want you to know that, the, that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is the word of the Lord. You You may be seated. I love the way that we respond to the reading of God's word. We have been working to influence the culture here at Lake Avenue that after the word of God is read, we say... This is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. It is a small tradition that reaches back pretty far. Just a few words that expresses a large conviction about what we believe. Something that we'll be exploring in the Shared Faith series starting next week on Saturday and the two services Sunday morning. And it says that we believe... That these aren't just words, but that they come from the very mouth of God. They are breathed out by Him. So what we've been doing is generating that expectation that this is something special. And when it's read and when it's explained and when it's applied, God is somehow present and at work there. So it becomes plausible, reasonable for me to expect of all of you that when the word is opened, we pay special attention But I want you to imagine, if you set foot on a college campus, maybe at Cal State, and got up to read the Word of God, and then said, this is the Word of the Lord, what do you expect you'd hear back? Probably nothing. I've seen some heckling sometimes. Maybe one or two there would say, thanks be to God. Now, I was that guy. Now, before I came five years ago to Lake Avenue Church, I used to do some pretty wild things. The ministry that I do here, at least upon reflection, seems tame compared to the crazy things that I used to do. I remember one winter day, I was standing out on the center of the campus of Grand Valley State University, which coincidentally just lost their football game to the APU Cougars. Congratulations, all you APU fans. And while we're at it, congratulations, Notre Dame. (laughs) Anyway, I was standing on the center of the campus of Grand Valley State University. It was a cold day. And our task that morning, a team of us doing evangelism, proclaiming the word of God to anyone who would listen. We had loudspeakers. We were on a raised platform. We were prepared with these messages. But it was so cold. I had to wear this thing that we call a winter coat. My hands had this strange sensation. They were numb because it was so cold. 
because it was that cold, nobody was stopping to listen. Go figure. It was just too cold. They had to get to wherever they were going. Realizing that nobody was listening to me, feeling very alone on that stage, I decided I needed to change my course a little bit. I turned the speakers toward one of the buildings, and I did something probably pretty annoying. I yelled at the classrooms over the loudspeaker, anyone within the sound of my voice? And I invited them to come and hear about the Lord Jesus who loved them and who could save them and rescue them. There was no one to listen. There was no plausibility. There was no one who cared that morning. Just a few. Just a few who would stop and listen, maybe applaud us for the courage that we had to do crazy things. No support. So I just started preaching to people that I couldn't even see. One commentator says that Paul must have been preaching out his window. At least he could still do that under house arrest. Brothers and sisters, you and I know that that never stops the gospel. God has seen fit to preserve his witness throughout the ages. Whether or not there's institutional support at a Cal State University, whether or not a city welcomes the gospel, whether they throw our brother and sister Matt and Grace Huang into prison, the gospel is not stopped because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who loves his witness in the world and desires for all to come and bow the knee before a loving God. It cannot be stopped. No, the gospel goes on and on through the faithful witness of a reliable people who are empowered by the Spirit of God to carry it forward. And my task this morning is to just show you how this happens, both through the Word of God and the many stories that I've lived through. I want to describe for you how this happens. I know many of you have stories of, you, of your own. Many of you are those stories of the goodness of God. But if my experience here at Lake Avenue is indicative, many of you have experienced that gospel ministry is hard and it's really intimidating. And then pastors, week after week, will stand up here and say that you need to be involved in gospel ministry to your neighbors and in your workplaces and among your families. But I know, I have heard you, it is hard and it is intimidating. So my goal is to tell you stories that will place your confidence not in skill or strength, but in a God who is powerful to see his mission accomplished. I think that if I can do that, there might be a little bit of change. The book of Acts and Paul's second letter to Timothy, they raise three different questions for us about how gospel ministry actually takes place. And the first is this. Who is it that listens? Who will listen to what we have to say? And in Acts chapter 28, we see Paul wrestling, struggling to explain the gospel to the leaders of the Jewish community in Rome. He certainly hoped that the people that he was talking to would understand. After all, his message, he believed, was truly Jewish. And this was his people. He wanted them to understand. This comes straight out of the Old Testament, guys. You're going to understand this. They had every advantage, that he, he says in Romans. We have every advantage because we have the law and the prophets to help us to understand that this long-awaited Messiah has come. People who grew up in the church should likewise understand that when we say Jesus is Lord, there is something about that affirmation of the truth. It should make sense to those of us who've grown up in the church 
hearing sermons, attending Sunday school. And yet we know that that doesn't always do it. Attendance doesn't always help us to understand the gospel. I have had the privilege so many times, even since I've come here, to watch young people come into my office, meet me at a coffee shop, sit in my car, and say, it makes sense now, and I want to give my life to him afresh, in a new way. And we know that the grace of God is calling out to you this morning. That if you have felt, gosh, I really haven't understand, understood this, I really haven't felt what I've been asked to feel, God is calling to you, come to me, and I will show you rest. Come to me for I love you. He's calling out to you this morning. Folks who have grown up in the church or the leaders of the Jewish community, they should have understood it, but so many times we don't. In fact, what happens just prior in this passage, Paul is having a a wonderful time sitting back and watching things unfold because he has just spent a day and a night explaining the gospel to these Jewish leaders who said, listen, we haven't heard of you, we haven't received any negative letters about you, so we don't mind that you're here, but this sect that you're talking about, the followers of the way, we've heard about them, and everybody says negative things about them. Can you explain what this is all about? Now imagine if you had that opportunity to explain what this is all about, what would you say? Well, he takes a day and night to explain it, and like he goes everywhere... Some of them believe, which is a miracle, even though they should have understood it from the whole Old Testament. But some of them just can't see it. How can this possibly be true? And they begin to argue amongst themselves. And Luke records, everybody starts to leave after Paul says a really divisive, ridiculous statement. I want to show you what it says. In verse 25. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. Here's what he said. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes and they've closed... They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise... They might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And then he says, I want you to know, God's salvation has gone to the Gentiles. They'll listen. That was like saying, forget you guys. And it causes them to leave the room. Boy, Paul knew how to clear a room. Jesus did too. I don't know if I can recommend this strategy, but he knew what he was doing. By quoting Isaiah, he knew what he was doing. He makes this dramatic statement. Unless we're mistaken that Paul is dismissing his own people, forgetting about them. Romans 10 tells us that he wanted nothing more than his own people to know that God loves them. His heart's desire and prayer is that they may be saved. His heart was breaking that day. He wasn't dismissing them. But his heart was breaking. Some of you here this morning, your hearts are breaking. And mine too. I have watched, and I am watching, as people that I've nurtured and alongside whom I have served, they're slipping, 
from out of my fingers. Slowly they withdraw from community and then from the Lord Jesus Himself. Many of you, I believe, are aching right now for a loved one, for a family member, to taste and see that God is good. And you don't know how He will make that known. You're hanging on by a thread to hope that this person that you love will rejoin the family of faith. And we want you to know a few things. You do not ache alone. The Lord of love aches with you and desires them to be with Him more than you do. We want you to know that your small group should know about this and should be praying with you and that your pastor should be aware of the efforts that you're undertaking and be praying alongside you. And most of all, we want you to know that there is hope for your loved one, that no one is beyond the reach of the love of God. No one. For He is good. In fact, Paul says it himself, people who shouldn't have any reason to get it because they haven't had the gospel, they haven't had the Old Testament, they're getting it too. He says the Gentiles, they will listen. And that's why you and I are here this morning. I've experienced this in my own life. I remember when I was sitting on the floor of my dorm room talking to a friend. I'm just a sophomore. And I just want to hang out with my friends, but my friend wants to ask me a lot of questions about the faith. He says, how could a God love me after all that I've done? You know, I grew up in the suburbs, so the worst that I could do is stay out past curfew. But he was testing me that morning. And he said, Jeff, what do you think is bad? Because I guarantee you I've done it. And foolishly, I began to create a list of things that I thought were bad. And I think he thought it was pretty silly, but I would say, well, have you done this? And he said, worse. So I said, have you done this? And he said, worse. And then I said, have you done this? And he said, worse. And then I became afraid of what he could do to me. And so he walked away that night not hearing the gospel, the good news that no matter the, no matter the thing that he had done, that God could still reach him. He walked away without that. So you can imagine my surprise when years later at a mutual friend's wedding, he pulls me over and he says to me, Hey Jeff, did you hear that I go to seminary now? And I forgot that we were at a wedding because I wanted to know what he was talking about, what had happened, what had, gone, what had God done in his life to change everything around. Brothers and sisters, if you could have just seen his face, the way that he had been freed from the weight of all the things that he had done, which I didn't even want to know about. He's a different person now. And I had no expectation that someone like him even would not be beyond the reach of God's loving arm unless any of us should be filled with pride. This is all of grace. I did nothing. He did nothing. This is all of grace. In fact, we know that even those who have zero exposure to the gospel, even in the Muslim world, God can reach them too. We are hearing reports of dreams 
And though there is some skepticism whether a dream can bring them all the way to an understanding of the gospel, when it is combined, when Muslim people have dreams and go and find their nearest Christian or nearest church and they hear the gospel, it makes sense to them. They come to know Jesus. But not without hearing the gospel. Romans 10 tells us, how will they know unless someone tells them? Which brings us to the next question. What is it that we say? What will people listen to? Paul preaches two things here to the leaders of the Jewish synagogues at Rome. Number one, the kingdom of God. And number two, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this kingdom of God? One theologian sums it up this way, rather neatly saying, the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. This rule, it's the rule that Jesus Christ now administers seated at the throne in heaven a rule of mercy and justice God's people are this group collection of people from every nation and every generation that comes to be reconciled across many kinds of hostile divides God's place is a world that will one day be at peace because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to set all things right. This is the kingdom of God that is coming down to be with us. Paul proclaims this kingdom as I do to you today. This kingdom is coming. And in fact, there is a way that the proclamation of the gospel has shifted in this, in this generation to take into account that a kingdom of mercy, mercy and justice is coming. Now we tell young people this whole world, its systems and its institutions are defiled by evil and not just people. We tell them that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere and that we together are sent to heal a broken world, empowered by Jesus who accompanies us because he loves the world, the cosmos, this place that he's created. In fact, one of my friends leads a ministry to social activists who don't know Jesus. He leads a ministry to people who care about mercy and justice and seeing the weakest among us protected but don't know Jesus. And he proclaims to them that it is this Jesus who is the originator of justice and mercy who uniquely knows what this looks like to be just and merciful and that he loves even them. The second thing that he teaches is about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the well-worn message that you and I hopefully know so well. Paul explains to them over the course of a day and night that this Jesus lived and loved his family and he loved his friends and that he did nothing wrong in this life on earth, nothing deserving of the kind of punishment that he received unlike you and I and that he died an unjust death but that he didn't do it for just any reason. In fact, he says of himself, no one takes my life, but I give of it freely because he had a purpose for giving it. And that purpose was that he would die a death that you and I would be threatened with, that you and I would die for the sins that we had committed in this life. He rescues us, he says from the consequences and from the influence and from captivity to sin, He dies for us for that purpose, He says. And we would have a reason to doubt whether that's true, except for the fact that on the third day Jesus rose again, demonstrating to all of us that not only can He conquer death, but He can set us free from the sin that weighs us down. 
He cannot be stopped because He is Lord over even death and sin. And as He ascends to heaven to rule at the right hand of the Father, we have confidence that when we call upon Him, He will respond with grace and truth. And when we preach the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, young people, I have experienced it, they will respond to this message. Our friend responded to this message. My wife and I, standing in the middle of a dock late at night in the upper peninsula of Michigan, where, again, it is very cold. Our friend had been given a stone and said, we want you, we told her, we instructed her, when you're ready, you place on this stone all the things that are holding you back from being free from sin and following Jesus, making Him the Lord of your life. And she called us out that night and she said, guys, I think I'm ready. And so it was my wife and myself and one of our students who was an evangelist who had just come to Christ himself a few years ago, a few years before that, the four of us standing on the dock, and I don't know whether it was the cold or the adrenaline or the Holy Spirit, but we shivered uncontrollably. As she said, I'm ready to put it all behind me. And she threw her stone into the water, and we gave thanks and praise to God for what He can do because of His love, joined with power. In a loving community, people can come to know about the goodness of our God. And at the end of our time together, my friends, I'm going to give all of us a chance to respond to the gospel. The Jewish leaders in Acts had a hard time accepting that this gospel could be true. But Paul, when we turn to 2 Timothy, we get a different view of what happens. Timothy is taking it the way it was supposed to be taken. And at some point in his imprisonment in Rome, Paul writes a letter to Timothy instructing him how to make sure the gospel goes forward. Which brings us to our last question. Who will they listen to? Who will they listen to? You see, there had only been a few generations when Paul was writing his second letter to Timothy because we refer, Paul refers to Timothy's mother and grandmother. So maybe three generations. We've been here on this corner for many generations. And the gospel has gone on and on through this church. Families have been passing the gospel on. So the first group of people that they will listen to is parents. Parents, are you here? We have heard you. A lot of parents aren't sure how to talk to their kids about the gospel, at least in an ongoing way. And we're here to help you with that. Let me assure you, We don't have magical powers, but we just want to walk with you. In fact, we do, my wife and I, we do what many other families do. Around the dinner table after school, we talk about what went well today and what went poorly. And we all get a chance to share. And we pray over that kind of stuff. It's very pedestrian. It's not fancy. But... You know, my kids are pastor's kids, and so sometimes their Sunday school teachers will come to us, and they'll say things that are, you know, flattering to us, and we're really proud of our kids for what they're able to do. They tell us, your kids always have their hands up, and they always have the answer to everything. I mean, that's a little embarrassing because they're know-it-alls, and I'm worried for their social, you know, adaptation or whatever. But one time, 
a teacher was saying this in front of our kids to us, praising our children. And after the teacher left, my daughter turned to me and said, Dad, do you know why we know all the answers? I'm like, yeah, honey, I want to know. How do you know all the answers? She goes, we watched the movie. (laughs) So I, I don't recommend that for, you know, getting to know what's in here. But there... We, we bought this movie, my wife and I, for our cross-country trek when we moved here. And my daughter watched it over and over and over again. It was a movie about Moses. And it happened to be pretty good. And we knew that the Exodus is such an important theme to the New Testament. That Jesus himself is the leader of a new Exodus. To lead slaves, people who are in bondage to sin, out of their slavery and into freedom to be their leader to lead a new exodus. We knew that that was true and so that we could explain to her all these themes that reach both from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Maybe that's how she knows some stuff. It wasn't us. It was the movie. But we do some things that are intentional, rest assured, and we want to walk with you so that you can do some of those things too. They will listen to parents. But the most important thing for parents and for all of us now is that they will listen to people who have been captured by the grace of God and who have been humbled by it, knowing that they have nothing of themselves. You see, Paul seems convinced that weak, young Timothy would do better displaying his godliness than his skill and his strength, which actually he had very little of. And so he says to Timothy, Be strong in the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. That God looks at us with favor, though we don't deserve it. Be strengthened by that, Paul says. Now don't get me wrong. I love a good display of strength or skill. It really gets me going. In fact, when I was in seminary, um, I think I might have taken it a little too far. I really loved this preacher, Billy Sunday. Back in the 1930s, he was a prohibition preacher. He preached against the consumption and sale of alcohol. And he called it a sin. And, you know, I don't think we could talk about that that way, this way today. I know I couldn't. But let me give you a sample of what old-timey preacher Billy Sunday used to say. He said, listen, I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. And I'll bite it as long as I got a tooth. And when I'm old, fistless, footless, and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory. (laughs) I love a good display of skill and strength, but there is something about someone who has been humbled by the grace of God and who has nothing outside of that. There's something convincing about a person captured by God's grace. In fact, this is what it meant for Timothy to lead the church and for church leaders and mentors to do the work of passing the gospel to successive generations. These passages were addressed to leaders, so let me turn to you now who are considered leaders in your community or in this church. They will listen to leaders. Some of you have told me, named leaders, you have told me that you feel unqualified and I want to I breathe a sigh of relief and I say, good, good. Because we can do something about that. It is far more difficult to work with someone who believes that they have arrived. You feel unqualified, great. We can can deal with that. But let me give us a few 
practical tips on how to be influencers in our family and to people around us, how to mentor and disciple others. And the first is this. Be genuinely curious about others because it's not about you. It's about them and their growth in Christ. Be genuinely curious and ask good questions. The first mentor couple that that took my wife and I under their wing, they would always ask us at every dinner this question. What are you reading? What are you reading? Now, I have to confess, I'm not a good reader. And that's really bad because I'm in this PhD program and I don't like to read. So I'm trying to figure that out. But it shaped the way I thought. I thought to myself, huh, should I be reading? And so imagine if you asked a similar question. You're talking with someone that you care about and that you want to see grow in Jesus. And they tell you about their week. If you ask them this question, how did Jesus meet you in that situation? It builds an expectation that the God who loves us will actually show up in this life. And that we can be attentive to what he's doing in our world. Be genuinely curious and ask questions. The second, know when to refer. Know when to say, I have no idea. I believe, in my experience, only a tiny percentage of people are actually looking for some kind of Bible expert to answer obscure questions about the trivia about this word. But the most, the biggest cross-section of people, they want someone who will share their experience with them. Who will walk with them and say, this is how it happened to me. This is how it unfolded. And this is how the grace of God met me in that situation. Know when to refer when you don't know the answer to the question. Know when to refer when emotional or mental distress is beyond your ability to care for. We have a counseling ministry here. Know when to call upon pastors who will come and pray and visit. Know when to refer. The third, share your stories. I'm guessing that the most dreaded day of the year for many pastors to young people is the day we hold the sex talk or the dating panel. These are the dreaded sex talk in the dating panel. And I'm always blown away by how grateful young people are when panelists are honest and avoid talking in abstract terms. I'm blown away by the response to honesty. Paul says to the church so often, you have seen how I have lived. You know how this goes. And the last thing, center on the risen Jesus. Because we're not just becoming like some historical figure that lived long ago, but because Jesus rose from the dead, because He has ascended at the right hand of the Father, we have someone who leads us around. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that He is here in our midst? And that as you walk out these doors, He goes with you. And your job this morning and every day is to follow Him wherever He may go, that He is not so far behind you, or not so far in front of you, that He cannot be found by you. Brothers and sisters, do you believe he is here with you? It's not just becoming like him. It's knowing where he's going and following him there because he is risen. Have you been rescued by the grace of God? Do you have this burden to share your rescue with others around you? If not, let me ask you a different question. Do you desire to be rescued by the grace of God? 
Because in a few moments from now, at the close of our service, we're going to give you a chance to respond to the reality of a coming kingdom of mercy and justice and to a Lord Jesus Christ who loves you, for whom all of us have been waiting for so long. He cares for us, and he will do this for us. He alone can rescue us, for which we give him thanks and praise. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ and for your gift of the Spirit who is with us now. And I pray that if anyone has yet to taste of your grace and to see that you are good and to submit their life to your way instead of our own, that you would come to us by your Spirit, grasp us by the heart, Help us to lay down our will and say your will be done. For each of us who have been captured by your grace, would you equip us, would you send us out to difficult places, even to Cal State University, so that we might be faithful witnesses to you in this world. Our workplaces, our families, our loved ones who are distant from us. None of these places are beyond the grasp of your love for which we give you thanks and praise and dominion and authority because you can do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.